Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTS Net to Go. We hope you enjoy. Hi, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Mohammed Bashir, and today I'm uh, sat here with uh, uh, Dr. Duke Cameron. It's an honor uh, to spend time with him today to give us a talk about uh, um, valve sparing, aortic, uh, uh, aortic uh, valve repair. Um, Dr. Cameron, he's been uh, with us before on the CTSNet uh, uh, giant interviews. Uh, we learned a lot uh, from his tremendous uh, contribution uh, to this uh, particular interview. And today, um, I'm just going to shift gears and uh, ask him on different angles uh, on this particular topic, uh, uh, and so that we can also learn more from from uh, what he has to say. As as you all know, Dr. Cameron is the cardi cardiac surgeon in charge at uh, John Hopkins uh, uh, Hospital, and he is the director of uh, cardiac surgery at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Cameron, thanks very much for joining us Thank today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, my first question to you today is, is valve sparing repair the operation of choice in non-Marfan young patients? Well, I think we don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, the, the operation of choice has to be uh, a safe operation. I think we know that it is a safe operation when performed by people who are experienced root surgeons. Uh, we know that it uh, has good results out to about 10 to 12 years uh, in patients, young patients, uh, who leave the operating room with a competent aortic valve. But we don't know how the operation behaves out at 15 or 20 years. And a good operation uh, really should behave well out to 20 years. And we'll have to wait a little bit longer before we know. But I still think that for young patients, uh, for whom the advantage of avoiding a valve prosthesis is are particularly attractive. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a good operation to offer people, uh, recognizing that we don't know uh, the durability of it yet. Right. Um, what factors uh, uh, um, makes you arrive to a decision that this patient is suitable for a valve sparing procedure? Well, first of all, it's important to remember it's an operation for aneurysm disease, not really valve disease. Uh, so these are typically young patients who have connective tissue disorders like Marfan syndrome or Loewy's Dietz syndrome, some patients with uh, bicuspid aortic valve, patients where the aortic root is dilated, uh, the mid-ascent aorta may or may not be, it doesn't really impact whether you can offer that operation. But it's primarily a sinus disease where the aortic valve uh, still is functioning reasonably well. Uh, various degrees of regurgitation uh, can be corrected when you uh, change the geometry of the aortic root. Uh, but most patients with a tri-leaflet, uh, well-formed tri-leaflet aortic valve uh, can have this operation with the expectation that they will have a competent aortic valve at the end. But the main purpose of the operation is to prevent aneurysm rupture. Um, okay. And I think that's an important point. 
you surely uh, uh, agree, and I mentioned, and I, I heard you yesterday mentioning that it is a technically challenging uh, uh, procedure uh, with results that can be uh, that can't be actually replicated in in, um, in hands of different surgeons. What's Duke Cameron's way? Well, we have a, a simplified technique, and, and it's really uh, the David procedure. Uh, uh, but I think we've distilled it to uh, a few key steps and uh, a few key uh, components of the operation that make it both easier to understand but also easier to perform. Um, I, I think we've just simply deconstructed Tyrone David's operation into steps that people can understand, and it has been uh, a replicable operation um, in people who've trained with us, who've gone out and uh, done this operation on their own, and through various uh, training courses and such. I think we've, uh, we've shown people how, how to do this operation, and I've heard back that uh, in other people's hands it has worked well. But the operation, uh, you know, the steps are that, that first one has to assess the aortic root, uh, determine uh, if the valve is a salvageable and uh, preservable valve, make a determination about the size of the graft that one should use, which we base mainly on a, a, an eyeball assessment of the optimal sinotubular junction diameter. That diameter which brings the leaflets back into this, what we call the position of prayer, which is really the anatomic uh, position of a normal aortic valve where there's a, a large area of, of coaptation and that the uh, area of coaptation is in the middle of the sinus. You can't have the valve closing like this or worse this. Um, but that position of closure of the valve, uh, L. Curry also describes it as, uh, as if, as if uh, the, the patient is applauding the operation. <laughs> um, that, that's what one strives for. And choosing the appropriate uh, prosthesis that delivers the valves in, into that position is the key step. And there are a few other tricks for choosing that. One can measure free leaflet edge. You can measure the height of the commissure between the non and the left uh, sinus and add a few millimeters to that and that will also produce the graft size. Or as we joke, you can usually use a 30 millimeter graft and that works for, for most people if you're, if you're really having trouble uh, sizing it. And then we've simplified the operation by just putting three sutures at the bottom uh, of the root. Now these are subannular sutures, uh, pledged to Tevdex, and they're placed from uh, the inside of the left ventricular outflow tract outward below the valve, just at the nadir of each of the three sinuses. And if it's a bicuspid valve, it's just two sutures. And these sutures simply anchor the graft to pull it down so that the entire root complex is within the graft, and that prevents annular dilatation, which is, which is really important for these young patients with connective tissue disorders. Then that internal hemostatic suture line is just as, as Dr. David described it. The coronary implants are the same, and, uh, and the distal or top end of the anastomosis is, is straightforward. Generally with Marfan syndrome patients, and those are the, the largest group of patients that, that we see in our practice, uh, it's not necessary to extend this resection out into the arch. The, if the arch isn't dissected, it's not likely to dilate later on. So prophylactic replacement of the arch really isn't necessary. When one brings the uh, graft in and the valve is now 
closing in this way. Well, sometimes when you bring the graft in, because the graft is always smaller than what the aneurysm was, you can induce some leaflet prolapse. And if, if you see that, uh, then you, you have to uh, deliver that leaflet up so that all of the leaflets are actually at the same uh, height and co-apting well. And so about 20% of our patients require some uh, plication of the free edge of the leaflet, which, which is usually just with a, a simple Gore-Tex uh, suture. That's, that makes a lot of sense in my mind to do it there rather than uh, a running suture along the free edge, um, simply because in Marfan syndrome, that, that free edge of the leaflet is, is so thin, I don't think it holds a suture well. Whereas the mid portion of the leaflet uh, lends itself very well to a a little folding plication. By shortening that free edge, the leaflet is pulled up and matches the height of, of the other two. So I think those are the, the, the key steps are mm. extensive dissection of the yeah. root. You really have to dissect all the way down to the bottom of the, of the uh, sinuses in all three. Uh, the three are the choosing of the uh, uh, graft, which we do based on optimal sinotubular junction diameter. Then the three annular, subannular sutures, the pulling down of the graft, tying those sutures. The commissures are, are also tacked up at the sinotubular ridge of the graft. And if you choose the graft correctly, then there's not a lot of guesswork where to, where to put the uh, sutures or where to put the commissures. This is, I think, one of the problems with some of the other techniques uh, where uh, especially uh, younger surgeons are having trouble deciding where to put those commissures within the graft. If you use the Valsalva graft and have, have chosen the right size graft, then the commissure almost always goes at that sinotubular ridge of the graft. It takes the guesswork out. So after the, the commissures are, are fixed at the sinotubular ridge, then the internal suture line is done, the coronaries are implanted, distal suture line. It's, it's a sequence, it makes sense, and there are a few critical measurements along the way, uh, but I, I think, as I say, it can all be deconstructed into uh, an understandable, rational operation. Great, great. Um, what data can you share with us on valve sparing procedures and Marfan or low deets in your own hands and experience? Our experience uh, now is uh, well over three, 300 patients. Uh, quite a few uh, of them are young patients. In fact, our youngest uh, was about a year of age. The average age is about 30. Mm. Um, and, and the vast majority of them, have more than two-thirds, have Marfan syndrome, which is unusual. Most other valve sparing series, the proportion of Marfan uh, is 20 or 30 percent. So it's, it's an unusual series in that respect in that they're younger patients, many more Marfan syndrome patients. Uh, of that series, there's uh, one uh, hospital mortality. It was a, a very young child who had both a, a root replacement, valve sparing root replacement and mitral repair, very uh, severe Marfan syndrome patient who had um, unfortunately catastrophic uh, sudden hemorrhage uh, hours after surgery. And, um, was resuscitated, suffered a, a, a fatal neurologic injury. The, um, there have been no other deaths, so the, the, the operative mortality in the series is, is under a, a third of a percent. Um, uh, so we believe it's a safe operation. The, uh, the series includes uh, a, a small group of remodeling operations that were done in the very early part of the series. Um, 
until we learned that the annular stabilization that is, is not provided by the remodeling was a problem. They developed uh, late regurgitation. Uh, although it's not to most patients, uh, excuse me, uh, but uh, it was a healthy enough percentage, 20 or 30 percent, that needed reoperation for AR. So we abandoned the remodeling. We've gone into the reimplantation. And the, uh, the, in the Marfan series, uh, at least the last uh, update, uh, the, of the patients who had tri-leaflet aortic valves uh, and a reimplantation, uh, there have been no reoperations in the adults. Uh, there have uh, been a couple of children who've, who've had developed some regurgitation later on and needed re uh, replacement of the valve. But in the adults, it's been a remarkably durable operation now at over 10 years. Okay. We're just going to move uh, to a different uh, setting. Would you do a valve sparing uh, procedure in an emergency dissection setting? Well, uh, yes, we would, and we, we have done a very limited number. Certainly, there's nothing about a dissection of the sinuses that anatomically precludes this operation. But um, it's, it's a longer operation than a bentol. It is uh, an operation where the results are not as certain at the, at the uh, release of the cross clamp. And in, in my own view, probably not the best operation in any setting where there's any instability of the patient or concern about lingering malperfusion. Uh, I, I do subscribe to the philosophy that the, the main point of uh, dissection surgery is to produce a survivor and, um, and whether or not the valve is saved is entirely uh, secondary. But a young, young patient um, with an acute dissection, uh, hemodynamically stable, particularly if it's a DeBakey II where the chance of a near cure is possible, um, yes, we, we do consider it, but we, we don't push hard for it in the acute dissection setting. Right. Um, would, would conversion to um, Bantal intraoperatively be a big worry to you? Well, insofar as it does extend the, uh, the cross-clamp time and, and bypass time, yes. But I think your, your question uh, brings up uh, an important point. If you do a valve sparing, and intraoperatively, you cannot salvage it, either because of bleeding or aortic regurgitation that is more than mild, uh, what, what should you do? And first of all, if the problem is bleeding from the base of the graft, uh, then you really must take down the whole operation and start all over again from a bent and do a bentol. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I like to say you really shouldn't do a valve sparing unless you can do a valve sparing and a bentol <laughs> to follow uh, with reasonable safety. Uh, but if the problem is aortic regurgitation and you've not been able to sort out why, and that that does happen some, sometimes, and can't fix it. Uh, then you have the option of simply opening the graft, excising the valve, and putting a prosthesis uh, within the graft, which, is, uh, which takes a lot less time than a, than a, a bentol. Uh, but it has to be a large enough graft that you can fit an adequate size prosthesis. Most of the patients we operate on uh, already have a, a, a somewhat large annulus, so it's not a problem. But in some older patients without connective tissue disorders, the graft may not be large enough to accommodate uh, an adequate prosthesis. And in that situation, you, ha you have to do the complete bentol. Sure.
Dr. Cameron, in your experience, have you had any um, valve sparing coming back for a redo procedure? Well, as I mentioned, we've had uh, that, that few number of patients, mainly the children, where they came back with aortic regurgitation uh, and had, uh, had the valve replaced without having to do the, the entire root replacement again. Um, we've had a, a curious uh, small series of Loewy's-Dietz syndrome patients mm -hmm. uh, who have had pseudoaneurysms at the base of the, of the root graft. Uh, these are patients, uh, half of them were operated on at our institution, half were operated on at other institutions using other techniques of valve sparing. So I don't think it's a, a peculiar complication to our method of uh, valve sparing. But these have all been in the non-coronary sinus and they've all been from the sutures that are subannular, tearing through the aortomitral apron, leading to a pseudoaneurysm uh, at the base of the non-coronary sinus and the, and the roof of the or dome of the left atrium. And these uh, have all been repairable without giving up on the valve sparing. You open the graft, retract the leaflets, and then you usually find a, a, a small narrow neck to the pseudoaneurysm that can be closed either with a small prosthetic patch or if it's a smaller one, just closed primarily with, with several mattress-pledged uh, sutures. Um, we hear a lot of reports about uh, aortic incompetency uh, post-valve uh, sparing, uh, uh, valve sparing repair. Is that any? Is that a worrying factor uh, to you? Is, is does it concern that you know you're hearing a lot of of, of AIs happening um, after after this particular procedure? And and if it happens, in your own words, what's what's deemed to be acceptable? This is an acceptable AI. Well, there's aortic regurgitation that's early, uh, or even intraoperatively, and then there's aortic regurgitation that's late. And aortic regurgitation in general, that's the Achilles heel of this operation. Yeah. Um, I think it's very unusual uh, to have aortic regurgitation appear late that wasn't there to some extent in the operating room. So I think a lot of it is still preventable by attention to that position of prayer and making sure that in particular that there's no eccentric uh, regurgitation. The, in the operating room, at the end of the case, a small amount of central aortic regurgitation that goes straight back from a central orifice, that's often just because of the thickening of the nodules of Varantius. And I think that's stable and rarely is of any hemodynamic consequence. On the other hand, a regurgitant jet that is eccentric, that hugs the undersurface of one leaflet, speaks to prolapse, even if it's not a readily appreciable that there's a prolapse leaflet. An eccentric jet usually means prolapse. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that is a progressive problem. That rarely stays stable because the leaflets aren't supporting each other. It means that one's down uh, like this and it will continue to get worse. Um, so that needs to be addressed and certainly anything two plus or more in the operating room really needs to be fixed or addressed before leaving the operating room. Now, aortic regurgitation that, that, uh, that is late, um, you know, I think the indications for reoperating on those people are the same as indications for operating on any aortic regurgitation lesion. Um, I think one interesting question is whether or not these patients will be TAVR candidates. They've got a, they have a rigid, perfectly round graft, uh, which could be an ideal environment or landing zone for TAVR cases. 
On the other hand, these are usually young patients who, uh, for whom the, the TAVR valves may not be that durable. But it is, a, it is a fairly simple operation, as I said, to reoperate, open the graft, and simply put a new prosthesis in, uh, a new valve prosthesis, uh, without redoing the whole route. And that's, that's, that's low risk. Um, whether the patient at that point wants a mechanical valve or a bioprosthesis, that's, that's patient choice. Great. Dr. Cameron, I know you've got a long day waiting ahead of you today, but thank you very much for spending some time with us. It's been an honor. It's been my pleasure. Thanks thank you very much. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video, by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTSNet to Go. Have a great day.